We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to cover two topics. First, I'm going to answer the question that many have asked me, why do you write? Why do you spend so much time doing that? What value is there in writing? I'll answer that question, and then the second issue I want to deal with is gradualism, incrementalism, and should conservatives be people of incremental gain? Or should we be going for a touchdown every time? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. So as I said in the introduction, two topics for the day. The first is I'm going to answer this question as to why I write. And I'm going to do so within the context of admitting that there are days when I write something and I don't even think it's that good. But then I find out ironically that After the fact, it's considered one of the better things that I've written in recent weeks or months or even years. This happened just this last week with regard to my Washington Times column piece. I was tired uh, on Friday morning, and my deadline for the Washington Times is 10 o'clock every Friday morning. And therefore, because I was tired, I decided to use an excerpt from my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. I wanted to apply it to something that was current in the news, so I took this story out of Cornell, where they've now declared the word illegal. Illegal. I talked about that a little bit yesterday. So I took that story, and I basically responded to that weekly news, that headline, with an excerpt out of my book. Now, I edited it a little bit, but 95% of what I submitted for my weekly column was just something I took out of my book, Grow Up, because I was tired and I didn't want to take the time to write anything new. Now, when I submitted it, I turned to my wife, Marcy, and I said, "Eh, I'm not too sure this is going to be any good. I don't feel that great about it. I'm not too sure my argument was that tight, but it is what it is. Um, So let it be. Let it be. Interestingly enough, Already, I've received comment from Fox News, and I'm going on later today with regard to that particular article. So, why? Why did it catch everybody's attention? Well, after we take a break, I'm going to actually read this article to you, verbatim, and then I'm going to ask you, why did this one catch everybody's attention within the context of why I write in the first place. And then if we have time, I'm going to finish up today's show with some commentary on incrementalism, gradualism, versus the all-or-nothing approach. We've talked about this a little bit before, but should we be going for a touchdown every time, or should we recognize that gaining a first down is of value, and we need to keep moving the ball and stop disparaging those who are satisfied with a first down rather than throwing a Hail Mary every time they're on the field. So let's take a break. When I get back, let's talk about why I write and why sometimes the things we say and write that we don't think are all that good are the very things that resonate with folks that will come back later on and say thank you for saying that. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. 
Let's take a break. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance, and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So I've been asked in the past, why do you write? Because people know I spend a lot of time doing so. Not only do I write my weekly column, but I often try to write something that makes sense for Facebook. I'll try to craft a a good response in a social media debate. Rather than just throwing out flippant one-liners, I try to actually give something meaningful. And, And why do I do that? Well, here's the answer. Number one, I know some people are watching. And even though I may not win the social media wars, I may not win that debate. In fact, some people have suggested, you know you're not going to win your adversaries over in social media, so why do you waste your time doing that? I get that. I get that concern. So why do I spend my time? Well, it's not necessarily to win over my adversaries. However, sometimes you do. It may be rare, but sometimes you win over somebody who totally disagreed with you before the debate. Therefore, it's worth the time if you can win over only one out of the hundred. If you lose 99 but win over one, then it was worth it in my view. But there's also another reason to engage in debate, both oral and written. And that is you're encouraging those of like mind. You're emboldening them. They see what you're doing. And if you've crafted a good argument, perhaps one that is a little tighter than what they did themselves, even though they agreed with you emotionally, And intuitively, they understood what you were saying, but they just hadn't taken the time to put it together in a tight fashion. You're emboldening them. You're giving them a couple extra arrows in their quiver so they can fight the good fight. So there are two reasons to communicate, whether it be oral or written. And those two reasons are, number one, you might win over a minority of your adversaries, but you will embolden the majority, if not all, of those people who align with you, who agree with you. And that's why I engage in social media the way I do. But there's a third reason why I write, and that is this, and I want you to hear me very clearly here. The reason I write is I have something to say, and I want to say it well. Now, who among us 
thinks that we are perfect in our communication when we're just responding spontaneously, orally, to a given question, conversation, debate, or disagreement. I would venture to guess that all of us would raise our hand and say, I wish I would have said something better and different than what I just said to my friend, to my family member, to my mom, my dad, my son, my daughter, or to my wife or my husband. All of us make mistakes almost every time we open our mouth, right? We're not perfect in the way we communicate orally. Even on this show, even on this show, I botch it. I I mumble, I fumble, I don't communicate as clearly as I want. So why do I write rather than just being satisfied with oral communication? The reason I write is I have something to say and I want to say it well. So I take the time to write it down. And that's why I do it not only for the Washington Times on a weekly basis, but I do it for other periodicals when they ask. And I also do it on Facebook or Twitter, or other social media platforms. I have something to say, and I want to say it well. And I think that is why you should write. Take the time to write down what you mean and what you want to say. And I guarantee you, it will tighten your communication style. It will sharpen your sword for the debate. If you don't take the time to write, you're not going to communicate as well as you would have otherwise. So I'm going to answer the question again right now. Why do I write? Why do I take the time? Because I've got something to say, as do you. We all have something to say. And I want to say it well, as should you and as do you. So take the time to discipline yourself, to write down your argument. Craft a cogent, solid, tight response to the issues of the day, the things that you hold dear. If you can't communicate them clearly and concisely, be quick, be clear, and be done. Don't ramble on. All of my columns for the Washington Times are between 750 and 850 words. That's it. So I have to make an argument very clearly and very quickly, and then I have to be done. If you can't communicate in those 700 words, those 800 words, then you probably don't have a tight argument. Many people will say that they have difficulty writing because they can't confine themselves to the given box of that limit. They want to keep going on and on and on. Many people will say that it's easier to write an essay of 1,500 words than it is to write one of 700 words. But if you discipline yourself to say what you want within given limits, to be quick to be clear, and to be done, that's a skill that will serve you well as you try to communicate with others, whether it be in your family or whether it be in public, whether it be around the dinner table or whether it be from a podium or a pulpit. Communication is important. That's, in my opinion, the imprint of God on our soul and on our heart and our mind. It's his thumbprint of the ability to communicate. As I've said many times on the show, I don't see cows arguing in the field. My horses don't have a debate, nor do your dogs. The uniqueness of the human being is our ability to be rational, to understand, to disagree, to debate, to understand there are self-evident truths and to try to define them and defend them. That's the nature of communication. And if you write it down, 
you're going to be better than you would have otherwise. So that's why I write. So right now I want to read to you this column that I wrote this last week for the Washington Times. And I'm going to read it to you within the context of what I said earlier. I didn't think it was one of my better ones. But here's the thing. I don't, I, I, I don't know the number of times. I can't tell you the number of times, how frequently I've had a student or somebody else come back to me years after the fact and say something like, I remember when you said this in a class, or I remember when you wrote this in an article, and it really impacted me. It changed my life. And sometimes I don't even remember saying it. I don't even remember the article. I'm thinking, wow, you have to be careful what you say because everything you say has an impact. And never assume that what you say has little value or that it's so inferior that nobody's going to care, which was kind of the case in this article that I just wrote for the Washington Times. And I get called by Fox News. <laughs> they, want to do, uh, they want to do an episode on it today. And I didn't think it was that good. So you never know. So write it down and say it and say it clearly. Here's the article. I titled it, Declaring the Word Illegal, Illegal. Now, I shared some of it with you yesterday, but I didn't share the whole thing. So I'm going to read the whole thing to you right now. You decide if it's any good. And you decide whether or not it's as good as anything else or better than anything else I've said on this show or written in, on Facebook or in the Washington Times. Again, here's the article verbatim. Declaring the word illegal, illegal. This week's Exhibit A in the Academy's Rush Toward Insanity comes from Cornell University, where the school's thought police have just declared the word illegal verboten if the discussion has anything to do with those entering our country unlawfully. Welcome to the crazy land of the ivory tower, where definitions no longer matter, and words like illegal can now be declared illegal. This repressive tolerance and doublespeak is pervasive from coast to coast. The elite's disregard for the meaning of words is the seminal challenge of our time. In the fluid lexicon of the rainbow, love now means hate, hate means love, men are women and women are men. We now live in a Mad Hatter's world where red is a number and two plus two equals green. And if you dare to question this nonsense, the Queen of Hearts will crush you. It all starts with the little things such as the deconstruction of everyday words, simple words such as green and gay, male and female, good and evil, right and wrong. This loss of definition not only confuses but also blinds us and places our culture in a matrix ruled by whatever leftist bullies happen to demand on any given day. One of the most important questions we should be asking is this. Are we really free today, or are we becoming more and more enslaved by the ubermensch, the supermen, the power brokers, the elites, the fittest, who fancy themselves our betters? Are we free to live within the boundaries of truth and justice that used to be considered self-evident, or are we now becoming more and more bound by groupthink and political correctness and those who prefer fantasy over fact? Good education was once grounded in respect for what is right and just and real. Good education once sought to reclaim what is co-opted and reveal what was compromised. Good education was once free of intimidation and honored open inquiry and the right to dissent. The academy once had confidence in the measuring rod of truth, that unalienable standard that is bigger and better than the crowd or the consensus. Good education used to teach young men and women, the art of pursuing truth, not constructing opinions. 
It seems that hardly a day goes by, however, when the call for safe spaces and speech codes is not headline news. Instead, countless stories show that colleges and universities today are more bastions of ideological fascism than bulwarks of free speech. The answer to this lunacy we now see from Baylor to Brown and many other college campuses in between is not found in the tyranny of false tolerance or the ideological safety of trigger warnings. It's found in returning to the age-old mission of the academy, in veritas, in the pursuit of truth, in the practice of wisdom, in training up men and women of virtue, not vice. Human freedom, intellectual or otherwise, was not born in Berkeley, but in a community called Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. The fundamental principles of higher education are grounded in the word made flesh and dwelling among us. Freedom is found in the Logos, the eternal, pre-existent alphabet, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Creatio ex nihilo. Today, we'd all do well to remember that God laughs at man's wisdom. Our truths must always be measured against his truth with a capital T. Our wisdom is no better than his foolishness. As 1 Corinthians 8 says, we sometimes tend to think we know all we need to know, but sometimes our humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. We never know enough until we recognize that God alone knows all. When we compromise the definition of words and their meaning, we lose our freedom to debate or disagree. We shift from being critical thinkers to little more than parrots for what is popular and in vogue. C.S. Lewis warned of this when he scolded the precocious agnostic in The Great Divorce. This is what he said. Our opinions were not honestly come by. We simply found ourselves in contact with a certain current of ideas and we plunged into it because it seemed modern and successful. You know, we just started automatically writing the kind of essays that got good marks and saying the kind of things that won applause. Close quote. Freedom is found in truth. Liberty, true intellectual liberty, is found in conserving the ideas that are tested by time rather than mindlessly changing the definition of everything we don't like to fit our warped political agendas. Only by submitting to God's truth a truth outside ourselves, are we free from our own delusions or those of our fellow man? Delusions like declaring the word illegal, illegal. Okay, so that's my article. Now, like I said, 95% or more of that came from my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. Again, I wrote this article not because I felt great inspiration in the moment, it was because I was tired. It was because I didn't feel like taking the time to go and craft a brand new argument. I wrote this article and I used these words because I had practiced them before, over and over again. In fact, as you're listening to me right now, you might be saying to yourself, I've heard you say this stuff a dozen times or more. You didn't say anything new. Uh, yeah, it was a little tighter. You didn't throw in awkward transitions. You didn't fumble and bumble as much as you sometimes do on your show. You, you, you crafted an argument and you stuck to the point. Maybe you were saying that. Maybe you weren't. I don't know. In fact, sometimes when I read my articles, I don't like the way it sounds when I go back and hear myself reading them. I'm thinking, my land, it sounds like you're reading. It doesn't sound like you're communicating something, something that was actually yours, when in fact you wrote the dumb thing in the first place. 
Oh, I'm far from perfect. I know that. But again, the reason I write in the first place is because I've got something to say, as do you, and I want to say it well. I want to do the best job of communicating my point. And four years ago, I wrote this stuff. I wrote what I just read to you. I wrote it for my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. This is just an excerpt out of one of my chapters. I'm responding to an issue of the day because I had already said something four years ago that I thought applied to this issue of the day, this news item from Cornell, where they're declaring the word illegal, illegal. And I thought, that's absurd. That's stupid. That's ridiculous. This is just another example of how the ivory tower has become the Tower of Babel. And I'm going to use my book to make the point in this week's column. And this is what I submitted to the Washington Times, and they published it on Sunday, this past Sunday, just a couple days ago. And lo and behold, an article that I didn't think that was all that good, one that I didn't feel actually was tight enough to address the issue of the day, actually catches the attention of Fox News and others, and they want to talk about it. Isn't that interesting? You have to decide, as you've listened to me read this article, whether or not it was a tight argument or rather it wasn't. That's for you to decide. But the point I'm trying to make right now is I took the time four years ago to write something down and it came in handy today. Chuck Colson told me when I was a member of his fellows program in 2007, if I remember correctly, Chuck Colson, one of the gifts of our time, one of the prophets of our age, as far as I'm concerned, a great man, a great man, Chuck Colson told me, told all of us as his students, he told us all, his protégés, his students, that if you don't teach it, you're not going to learn it. And you have to stay focused. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Teach it over and over again. It's the repetition, the discipline of teaching that actually helps you as much as your students learn the material that you're trying to convey. And the same principle is true for writing. If you don't write it, you're not going to be able to say it. And people aren't going to understand it. So if you get frustrated because people aren't listening to you, you, you think you made your point, but people just don't seem to understand, write it down. Oh, you may not think it's that good. And some of the things you write, you, th you may think, are a lot better than others. I do. I think some of the more recent columns I've written over the last month or two are a lot better than what I just read to you on this show. But for whatever reason, I didn't get a call from Fox News on those. I got a call from Fox News on this one. Fascinating, isn't it? And then back to the point. Maybe even some of the stuff that Fox News didn't uh, call me about. It didn't catch their attention. It didn't show up on the national radar. Maybe some of those columns that I think are just languish, languishing out there in cyberspace, maybe those columns will come back home a week later, months later, maybe even years hence, where somebody will say, hey, you wrote this back in 2022, 2023, and it really impacted me. And I'm just contacting you today to say thank you. Remember the story I told you about Laura Perry? how she was transgendered. She had gone through all of the surgeries to transition from her biological reality to a male. She was living as Jake for 10 years, if I recall correctly. She had all the hormone therapy, all of the surgeries. She had bought the lie 
that she could change into something that she wasn't. And I kept going on radio, the Pat Campbell Show in Tulsa, over and over again. And I kept saying, Imago Dei, Imago Dog. You are the Imago Dei. You're created in the image of God. You're not the Imago Dog. You're not defined by your libido. You're defined by your Lord. You're not just an animal defined by your gut, your belly, your desires, your passions. We all have passions and proclivities. We all have desires that we can rise above, and we should. We don't do everything that we want to do. You're not defined by those things. The human being is more than that. You are the Imago Dei. I kept saying it over and over again. I wrote about it over and over again. I fine-tuned my argument so I could say what I just said to you in the last two minutes of this show concisely and clearly. And the reason I was able to do that was writing. I had something, something to say, and I wanted to say it well. Well, one day I get contacted by Laura Perry. She says, hey, Dr. Piper, I'm transgendered. And I thought at the time, here it comes. I'm going to get lambasted. I've got one of these trans folks out there that's mad at me and is going to take me to task. Call me everything but the devil. That isn't what she said. She said, I'm transgendered. I've been listening to you on the Pat Campbell Show, and I wanted to contact you today and tell you that you're right. And I about fell out of my chair. I about fell out of my chair. I walked up the hill at lunchtime to my house by the campus, and I said to my wife as I walked in for lunch, I said, look at this. Look at this email. I don't know if I'm being punked. I don't know if it's a joke. I don't even know how to respond. But if it's true, it's all worth it. All the time I've spent in writing, fine-tuning what I wanted to say, taking the blows, the ridicule from the left, and oh, it was pervasive, still is, you can imagine. They hate me. But here's somebody from that camp, from the left, if you will, the LGBTQIA plus cabal. Somebody's writing me and saying, I'm transgendered, and I wanted to tell you that you're right. Well, today, Laura Perry has been transformed. She's not transgendered anymore. She's returned to her biological reality. And she's also returned to her church and her family. She no longer calls herself Jake. She's reclaimed her God-given name, Laura, Laura Perry. And she is now born again. She doesn't buy the lie that she was born that way. She is a true sister in Christ, Laura Perry. Laura is an example, and I'm not claiming that I'm the one who brought her back to Christ, but by God's grace, I was permitted to be part of the story because, I would argue, I took the time to be clear in what I wanted to say. So today's show, I'm not going to get to the gradualism versus incrementalism. I, maybe, maybe I'll just hint at it for another show, except the incremental gain of one soul saved, Laura Perry, while thousands of others still hate me for saying what I said. If it's just the incremental gain, the gradualism of one Laura Perry, isn't it worth it? Isn't the moral of today's story, today's show, that if you double down, communicate clearly, be quick, be clear, be done, Write it because you have something to say and you want to say it well. 
if you discipline yourself and take the time to do that, maybe one day all of us will be able to walk up the hill at lunchtime and say to our spouse, I don't know if this story is real. I don't know if this email is a joke or if it's true. But if it is true, it's all worth it. This, this, this first down versus a touchdown. This incremental gain versus all or nothing. This one person, if it's only one, makes it all worth it. It makes it all worth it. The time I've taken to communicate, the time I've taken to write, the time I've taken to argue and debate, hopefully with a Christ-like attitude, and even if I screwed that up and didn't do it as well as I should have in terms of my attitude, even if I made some mistakes by being haughty or uh, whatever, God forgave that, and by his sovereign grace, he made me part of the story of a person who actually comes home to reality, the ultimate truth with a capital T, the Word made flesh and dwelling among us, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the alphabet, the eternal alphabet of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the reality of our existence rather than our fabrications and our fantasies. Maybe, just maybe, all of us will be able to take part in the grand story of conversion and repentance rather than just being nothing on the sidelines if we just take the time to discipline ourselves and write. I'm Dr. Ever Piper, and this is The Rebellion.